0: Good morning, church family. Pray that you are all well, as it is wonderful to see all of you here this morning on week four of our Advent season, and now just one week away from Christmas Day, the day where we as a church body get to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And thus, because of that, as I mentioned last week, we are going to be taking a bit of a hiatus of sorts from the Gospel of Mark. And we'll be focusing on, during the next two weeks, the birth of Jesus Christ. And we'll be doing so by looking specifically this morning at Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Or when the wise men pay a visit to Jesus Christ. However, before we get to that text, I think it would be wise for me to offer you all some context at this time. On what exactly has transpired in the Gospel of Matthew prior to this visit from the Magi. And thus in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, in short, we get the Christmas story. However, we get the Christmas story not from Mary's perspective, like we do in the Gospel of Luke, but instead from Joseph's perspective. Joseph the carpenter, church. Joseph the descendant of David, church. And Joseph the legal and adoptive father of Jesus Christ. Christ here, church. And as we see in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, Matthew he opens by saying, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And within the Jewish culture of that day, To be betrothed to someone meant to be legally bound to someone, typically for about a year in time prior to their marriage ceremony. And that during this time, or during this year-long season of betrothal, the bride-to-be then would not, 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 absolutely not live with her future husband, but instead would live with her parents until the actual wedding ceremony had taken place. Therefore, when it says in verse 18 that before they came together, that she, Mary, was found to be with child, what Matthew was getting at was that before Joseph ever even brought Mary home and ultimately consummated the marriage, that Mary was already then found to be with child, verse 18, from the Holy Spirit, not from Joseph not from some random lover, nor even from some other man who Mary wanted to run off with, but instead supernaturally from the Holy Spirit, which in all honesty was just too much for Joseph to believe at this time. So much so, as we go on to see in verse 19, Joseph, then being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce divorce her quietly, also that Mary did not need to be exposed to all the public shame and humiliation, courts of the law, and harsh punishments that could come with getting pregnant here outside of marriage within the culture of the day, especially since under the Mosaic law, adultery was punishable by death. However, as we go on to see in verses 20 through 23, as Joseph considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus Christ fulfilling this prophecy from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 Since Jesus Christ is God incarnate, God in the flesh, and the divine Son of God himself truly is Emmanuel, or God with us. To which Joseph then, as Matthew goes on to write in verse 24, woke from his sleep, and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not, until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Which is, in essence, Joseph's beautiful and clear and concise perspective of the birth of Jesus Christ. Which takes us now to our thesis statement this morning, or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. Being that Jesus Christ was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary... A descendant from the line of David truly is Emmanuel and ultimately saved his people from their sins. Naturally then, Christian, worship him by giving him your best. Again, our thesis statement this morning, church, is this. Being that Jesus Christ was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, a descendant from the line of David, truly is Emmanuel and ultimately saved his people from their sins. Naturally, then, Christian, worship him by giving him your best. And us at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up this morning to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And if you are joining us today and do not have or do not own a Bible, then please feel free to grab and even to keep one of our church Bibles as our gift to you on this day. And to open that brand new Bible of yours up at this time, To page 807, and to join us as we as a church family hear the Word of God together this morning. For again, we will be in Matthew chapter 2 this morning, and we'll be looking specifically at verses 1 through 12, where the Gospel author, Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, amidst all the hustle and bustle of this Christmas season. Father, quiet our minds. Draw our hearts to you. Give us eyes afresh, ears anew this morning, to hear a text that we know we have heard ever since we were children. As we have sung the hymn many times, We Three Kings. And yet this morning, as we study the text... Let us just take in what your word truly says. And let us be in all of it, be convicted by it, be transformed by it, and then apply it to our own lives. Father, as we seek to worship you above all else by giving you our our absolute best, no matter what we have to give up and no matter the cost, for you are worth it, Father. Lord, I pray that you help my lisping and stammering tongue this morning. Lord, let me be faithful to your word. Let me, by relying completely on the Spirit, build build this dear congregation up in the strength of your perfect and infallible and inerrant word. And that through the singing of songs this morning, the preaching of your word, the prayers that we have to offer, Lord, that all this sacrifice on this Lord's day As a glorifying and appeasing sacrifice to you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one do not be a fool and refuse to worship the King of Kings and the Divine Son of God Himself, Jesus Christ. Again, point number one do not be a fool and refused to worship the king of kings and the divine son of God himself, Jesus Christ. Verses 1 through 8, which read, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. So we open here in verse 1 this morning with, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King and Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. And although we have all sung the Christmas hymn, We Three Kings, the text here, church, in all honesty, does not say how many wise men here there were. Nor does it say that these wise men here were kings. In fact, it's much more likely that these wise men, however many there might have been, were stargazers, or students of the stars, or to put it another way, astrologers who would look at and study and consult the stars, all in order to give counsel based on their finding of these stars. And thus these wise men then, who diligently studied these stars, as we go on to see in verse 2, For they then came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. Now, in terms of what exactly this star was that these wise men saw in verse 2 when it rose, for we do not know for sure, as some scholars believe it was a comet, whereas others believe it was a meteor, and whereas others believe it was a planet, a combination of planets, a guiding angel, or even a distinct supernatural creation by God. Nevertheless, what we do know for sure is that in seeing this star... These wise men then made their way all the way to Jerusalem, likely traveling hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles in the process, verse 1, from the east, potentially traveling all the way from Persia or Arabia, Egypt, or maybe even Babylon, in order, verse 2, to find this king of the Jews. Which leads to the question here, church. Why exactly do these wise men here, in seeing this star when it rose, decide to go then all the way to Jerusalem in order to seek after and to search for, verse 2, this king of the Jews? Or to put it another way, For how did the wise men put this star and Jerusalem and this king of the Jews all together since the text here, church, simply does not say, as numerous commentators have pointed out, that the star here continued to shine and in essence guided them all the way to Jerusalem? And the answer to that question seems to be, as Greg Lanier explains, is that as learned men who interacted with a variety of religious literature... These wise men then would have likely been familiar with the Jewish political and messianic oracles. One of those oracles being Balaam's oracle, where Balaam, a pagan seer and scoundrel, blessed Israel by prophesying about its deliverer king via the symbol of a star, where he says, in numbers 24:17, "I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near." A star will arise out of Jacob and a scepter shall arise out of Israel. In short, these wise men then must have observed this star and then recognized that the true king of Israel had entered into the world, which then prompted them to go look for Jesus in Jerusalem. However, they not only came to Jerusalem searching for this king of the Jews, but additionally as we go on to see in verse 2, they also came to Jerusalem seeking to worship this king of the Jews as well. Worship as in to pay homage to him, to adore him, and to bow down before him. And yet when King Herod also known as Herod the Great or the one who was put into place by Rome around 40 BC in order to rule over Judea. For when he hears about this, verse 3, he was troubled, likely because he was absolutely paranoid about anyone taking power from him or threatening his position as king. So much so that the guy, literally church, had his favorite wife and a couple of his sons murdered, all because he viewed them as rivals, as threats, and as individuals that he simply could not trust. And thus when he, King Herod then, hears about these wise men showing up in Jerusalem and looking for this king of the Jews, for he most certainly then was troubled by this. And not only him, but also as we go on to see in verse 3, all of Jerusalem likely because of the pain and the persecution and the harshness that King Herod could inflict on Jerusalem, all as he sought to destroy and demolish and kill off any potential threats to him or to his throne here as well. And that's because of all this, King Herod then, as the CSB puts it in verse 4, assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them when the Messiah, the Christ, would be born. To which they then told him, based on their knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures, specifically that of Micah chapter 5, verse 2, which is referenced here, church, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 6, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd. My people Israel. To which King Herod then summoned the wise men secretly, in order to ascertain from them when exactly this star had appeared, only to then send them off to Bethlehem, saying in verse 8, Go and search diligently for this child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I too may come and worship him. However, he did all of this church not in order to worship Jesus Christ. Not in order to adore Jesus Christ, not in order to pay homage to Jesus Christ, to honor Jesus Christ, admire Jesus Christ, or to bow down and praise Jesus Christ, but instead, as we see later on in Matthew chapter 2, in order to kill Jesus Christ. And I just found all of this so fascinating here, church. That being the two distinct and different and contrasting reactions that the wise men and King Herod had toward Jesus. And that we have the wise men here who likely traveled hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles all in order to seek after, to find, and to worship Jesus Christ. And then that of King Herod here, who, verse 3, was troubled by Jesus Christ. To which, as Craig Hamilton explains are in essence the same kind of reactions to Jesus Christ that we see even today. And that there are still really only two ways to respond to Jesus. And that you can either be like King Herod or even Jerusalem here and refuse and ignore Jesus Christ. Or you can be like the wise men and meet Jesus Christ. Worship Jesus Christ and be overjoyed completely in Jesus Christ. And that's point number one this morning, church is my Christmas warning to you all here today. And that when we are confronted by this God-man named Jesus Christ, this God-man who came into this world conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary in a little town called Bethlehem from the lineage of David in order to seek and to save the lost, defeat the works of the devil, give us victory over the grave, and to reconcile us back to our holy God forever, that we should absolutely not then, church, refuse, reject, or ignore this Jesus Christ, since that, quite frankly, is the way of the full church and not the way of the wise. And I say that because all those who foolishly refuse Jesus Christ, reject Jesus Christ, and who ultimately then do not place their faith in Jesus Christ will not be saved by Jesus Christ, but instead will be judged by Jesus Christ and thrown into the depths of hell forever. And thus, because of that, for let us be sure then, church, that no one is playing the role of the fool here this morning by rejecting Jesus Christ, since to do so only leads to weeping, suffering, punishment, darkness, and to that of eternal death. Which brings us to point number two. The wise and proper response to Jesus Christ is to worship him and not to reject him. The wise and proper response to Jesus Christ is to worship him and not to reject him. Verses 9 through 12. After listening to the king... They went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose before them, until it came. Excuse me. Let me start over. Verses nine through twelve. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them, until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So following King Herod, assembling the chief priests and the scribes, in order to ask them where the Christ would be born, that being, as we see in verse 5, Bethlehem of Judea, and then asking the wise men in verse 7 about what time the star had appeared, he then sent the wise men to Bethlehem, saying to them in verse 8, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Which again was all a lie since King Herod really didn't want to worship Jesus Christ, but instead wanted to kill Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, the wise men here, verse 9, after listening to King Herod, they then went on their way to Bethlehem. However, as we go on to see in verse 9, behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And that the star that the wise men had originally seen, as noted back in verse 2, which had caused them to travel to Jerusalem in the first place, had now seemingly reappeared, as numerous scholars have pointed out. And then went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And thus, when these wise men then see this star appear, for they don't just rejoice here, church, or just rejoice exceedingly here, church, but instead, verse 10, they rejoice exceedingly with great joy here, church, meaning that they were filled with lots and lots and lots of joy here, church, as they made their way to Jesus Christ. To which, when they finally do then, verse 11, go into the house of Jesus Christ, Mind you, this is not the manger scene here, church, being that Mary and Joseph and Jesus are now in the house here, and since it has likely been a couple of months to maybe even over a year now since the birth of Jesus Christ, nevertheless, when these wise men then, verse 11, do indeed see Jesus Christ, for they fall down and they worship Jesus Christ. Not Mary not Joseph, and not even that of the entire family here, but instead they only fall down and worship Jesus Christ and Christ alone here, only to then open their treasures in verse 11 and to offer him gifts of gold and of frankincense and of myrrh, which were the kind of expensive and costly and valuable gifts that were fit to be given to a king here, church. And then as we go on to see in verse 12, being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they, the wise men then, departed to their own country by another way. Author David Burgess, for he wrote, that in the cathedral city of Cologne, that one can view there the shrine of the three kings, where visitors are told that their number was three, and that their names were Gasper, Melchior, and Balthazar, and that Gaspar was from Tarsus, Melchior from Arabia, and Balthazar from Ethiopia. However, the scriptures, they tell us nothing of that, no number, no names, no place of origin, and not that they were kings. Instead, they tell us this, that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Or to think of it another way, as Daniel Durrani explains, although these wise men knew far less about this prophesied Messiah than, say, the aforementioned chief priests and scribes, they still acted then on what they did know, as disciples should. And they then sacrificed time and treasure and safety to find the king and to offer him the best gifts they had. And thus readers then must choose whether to join the wise men who adore Jesus Christ or to join the elite who scorned Jesus Christ. And thus being that we now know, brother Christian, sister Christian, that this Emmanuel this God man, this Jesus Christ, the Son of the Most High God, was not only born in some manger rude, in some little town called Bethlehem, but that he also then went to a cross at Calvary in order to die for the sins of many, only to then be raised from the dead, ascend into heaven, be seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from which he will come again to judge the living and the dead and to consummate a kingdom that will have no end, but instead will endure forever and ever and ever. And thus, in light of knowing all that, for how much should we then, Christian, be willing to worship this Jesus Christ, this divine Son of God himself, as well? And thus, my loving charge and exhortation and encouragement to you all here this morning, church, as we wrap up point number two quite simply is this. Take God at his word, seek and believe in his son, and then worship him accordingly. Since only those who seek after Jesus Christ, who come to faith in Jesus Christ, and who truly worship Jesus Christ, no matter the cost, will ultimately then be saved by Jesus Christ, which in the end will most assuredly not be the way of the full church, but instead will be the way of the wise. And thus as we begin to close this morning, I'd like to do so with the non-Christian who was here first and to share with you at this time, non-Christian, what exactly makes this Jesus Christ so worthy of our glory and honor and worship and praise. And it is because, non-Christian, this Jesus Christ came into this world Again, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary in a little town called Bethlehem, from the lineage of David, as truly God and as truly man, to live and to dwell amongst us and to save us from our sins, which he most certainly did not, Christian, by initially living for us the life that we could never live. And that he, Jesus Christ, while he lived and dwelt among us, never ever sinned. But instead lived a holy and righteous and sinless life here on earth. Something that we as sinners could never ever do. And in doing so, fulfilled the law of God in its entirety. Perfectly and completely non-Christian. All for the very children of God. However, that was not all that Jesus Christ accomplished here on earth while he lived and dwelt among us. And I say that because Jesus Christ, also then non-Christian, paid the price for our sins that we could not pay by taking our sins upon himself and by willingly giving up his life by being nailed to and crucified and crushed on a cross at Calvary in our place and as our very substitute, even though he himself never sinned and in doing so appeased and satisfied non-Christian the wrath of a holy God all toward his sinful children. And thus, because Jesus Christ, then non-Christian, appeased and satisfied the wrath of a holy God all toward his sinful children, and furthermore, because Jesus Christ never, ever sinned, three days later, than non-Christian, Jesus Christ, for he didn't remain dead or buried in some grave, but instead, three days later, he, Jesus Christ, he rose from the grave, and he defeated sin, and destroyed eternal death once and for all, and now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. Thus let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from your sin. For let today be the day that you repent of your sin and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin and can clothe you then in his perfect life, in his righteousness, and reconcile you back to God forever. For let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. And today will be the day that you will be forgiven of your sin and given the gift, non-Christian, of eternal life. And to the Christian who was here today, for over the past two weeks, brother Christian, sister Christian, We have closed our sermons by considering these themes of worship and of praise. And I again want to close our sermon this morning by considering this theme of worship, but to do so this week in light of what these aforementioned wise men were willing to do and to give up in order to worship Jesus Christ. Because the wise men here, church, for they weren't just willing to walk a couple miles in order to worship Jesus Christ. Or just to give up a couple minutes in their day. In order to adore Jesus Christ. Nor just to offer some second-hand gifts. In order to honor Jesus Christ. But instead these wise men in our text today. We're likely willing to walk hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles in order to worship Jesus Christ and to give up days and weeks and months and maybe even years in order to adore Jesus Christ and to offer gifts of gold and of frankincense and myrrh all in order to properly honor Jesus Christ. And here is the crazy thing in all of this church, as R.C. Sproul writes, for they did all of this not knowing about the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And thus the application here, although maybe painful, is obviously clear. Give up your best to the master, Jesus Christ. To which some of you might instantly begin thinking here this morning. Like, does that include my time here? And my money here? And my resources? And intellect, attention span, and even talents here? And the answer to all of those questions is, yeah, for that is exactly what I mean here. Pastor Stephen Cole shared that when Jimmy Carter was president of the United States, that on several occasions he spent the night in homes of common Americans, picked at random. Therefore, suppose that the president and his wife decided to come to your house. And when the big evening arrives... Crowds line the streets as the presidential limousine pulls up in front of your house and he's escorted by police motorcycles, squad cars, and the Secret Service. And the president and his wife then emerge from the limousine, wave to the crowds and to the news photographers, and then walk into your front walk to your front door. Would you then open the door wearing dirty jeans and a t-shirt and say, Oh, hi, I'm sorry about my appearance, but I've been out in the garden all day. And then as the president steps into your cluttered living room, you say, sorry about the mess, but my wife got caught up in watching some TV today and didn't get around to cleaning. But dinner's almost ready as she's heating up some leftovers from last night in the microwave. So I'll run and get some paper plates. For that would be absurd, wouldn't it? I mean, even if we were not wealthy, if we knew the president of the United States was coming to our house for dinner, we would look our best, we would clean our house, put our best dishes out, and then fix our best meal for him, since he is the president and the president deserves more than just our leftovers. And thus, since our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, then nor should he be getting merely our leftovers as well. And I share this with you all here this morning, Brother Christian, Sister Christian. Because we are never going to get to heaven and look back on our lives, on the midst, on the breath, on the vapor that was our lives and think to ourselves, you know, I just gave way too much money financially for the sake of Jesus Christ. Or, you know, I just too fully devoted myself to Jesus Christ. Or, you know, I just spend way too much of my time and my energy and focus and talents on Jesus Christ because, boy, do I wish I could go back and devote some of that time instead to watching more Netflix. Or devote some of that money instead to buying more stuff on Amazon. Or to devote some of that energy and talent and focus instead on completing on all those crossword puzzles of mine. Because the reality is, Christian... We have a God who loved us so much that he didn't even spare his own son for us, but instead gave him up for us all, all so that we could be saved from our sins, adopted into his family, and become part of the kingdom of God forever. And thus, because of that glorious reality, then, Christian, for do not be afraid, then, to give your very best to your God the best of your time and your talents, resources and finances, intellect and focus, and whatever other gift that your God has ultimately given to you first, since your God is infinitely worthy, Christian, of your all. Thus it is my prayer that as we as a church body are confronted this Christmas season by the incarnate Son of God, Jesus Christ himself, that we are not troubled by him, but that we instead, like the wise men in our text here today, willingly do whatever we have to do in order to worship him and to give our very best to him. Therefore, help us, Lord, in the midst of all the hustle and bustle of this Christmas season, to not let Jesus become just an afterthought in our lives, but instead let us be in all of this Jesus Christ, this God-man who broke into this world, born in a manger, rude, and who would ultimately then end up being crucified on a cross at Calvary, all in order to die for the sins of many, defeat the works of the devil, crush the serpent's head, and to reconcile sinners back to their holy God forever. And thus, let us see our lives this morning then, Father, just as they are, as nothing more than a breath, a mist, a vapor that comes and goes like the wind, and to be willing then make the best use of that time by giving our absolute best to the one who gave up his life for us, all so that we could live eternally with and through him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we will never be willing to give you our best. Until we see ourselves for who we are, and we understand you, God, for who you truly are. Until we understand that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, following after the course of this world, that none is righteous, that no one seeks after God, that no one understands, and that although we were enemies of the Most High God, by grace, Through faith, God made a way by sending his son, Jesus Christ, into this world as a little baby who would grow into a man with shoulders that would be able to bear the sins of many, to be crushed on a cross at Calvary and to raise from the dead three days later, raised for our justification so that by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, we can be declared righteous and reconciled back to God forever and thus in light of that reality in light of the fact that in eternity we are nothing more than a breath a mist, a passing wind father let us be willing to give our absolute best to you now and forevermore if there are idols in our life that in our treasure chest that we are unwilling to open up for you god break those locks i pray Break those idols down, I pray, and let us be willing to give up our very best, whether that is our time, our talents, finances, resources, whatever else we have. Let us be willing to give our best to you, God, because you and you alone are worthy of our ultimate, our ideal, and our best praise. In Jesus' name we pray.